Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, with me today, as usual, for our Tuesday episodes is our friend and producer, Hugo Lindgren. Hugo, how are you? Good morning, Bradley. How are you? Good. So we're going to do a kind of special episode today. Um, we weren't actually even planning on doing this because I think as the listeners uh, have been told already, I'm, I'm heading out of town for a little while. But yesterday morning, I was thinking about a call that I had a few days ago with a guy who runs kind of a UX, UI design lab out in Vancouver. And the reason he had reached out to me was to say, look, uh, you guys seem to have had a lot of success taking equity and startups in return for your work. How do you think about it? How would you structure it? All of that. And that's probably the fourth or fifth time in the last 12 months, let's say, that I've gotten a call like that. Um, and so I started thinking about like, okay, what, you know, other than just the stuff off the top of my head that I'm telling them, like, what are the right answers? And so I took the time to write up kind of my views on this, sent it to you. And I think for those of you who, especially if you're in a services business or think you might be in one, and you want to think about how would I get paid in equity rather than cash, this episode will really walk you through the do's and don'ts. Um, if that is totally uninteresting to you, then you probably stop <laughs> listening now. We're going to make it interesting to everybody, Bradley. Yeah. Um, so before we get into the, um, you, you have you have sort of eight, eight. I'm looking at it, eight yeah. bullet points. Yeah. Before we get into the eight, why don't you give a little background for people who don't know? So, so when you were starting your, or shortly after you started your political consultancy. Um, you entered into uh, an agreement with Uber that yeah. was a kind of transformative... Uh, for my life, yeah, and also maybe to a certain extent for the development sort of an equity services model. So um, just walk yeah. through quickly so, how that happened sure. so that people understand. So um, after the Bloomberg campaign in 2009, which we won, I started a company called Tusk Strategies. It is a political consulting firm. And about a year into the business, uh, I get a call from a friend one day. He said, hey... There's a guy with a small transportation startup. He's having some regulatory problems. Would you mind talking to him? Um, I become Uber's first political advisor that day, and then I get especially lucky when Travis Kalanick, who was then the founder and CEO, called me and said, look, I can't afford your, t- afford your fee. Would you take some equity? I didn't know what equity meant, but thank God I said yes. That was back You were a serious during, newbie. Yeah, back during the Series A, um, then proceeded to work with Travis and run campaigns all over the U.S. to legalize Uber and ride-sharing. That worked. That was one of many, many reasons why the stock or the share price kept jumping up and up and up. It became, for me, a material amount of money that gave me the financial freedom to pursue new ideas, take risks, start, you know, my foundation, everything else. Um, and then did the process again. I got introduced actually by the same guy um, to Karen. Did you Simon say who that Becker. guy is? Or Kevin Sheiky. Yeah. Okay. Um, he is at Bloomberg LP. He was deputy mayor for Mike. He was Mike's campaign manager, both in... 05 and the presidential campaign, um, and someone who has been just a tremendous help to me throughout my career. Um, so, um, so you sort of backed into it, or, or not yeah, backed totally. into it, but it, but it was it was fortuitous. Backed into it, and then even when I met uh, Karen at Clear, it was still pretty early. So while it seemed like things were going well with Uber, I didn't really understand yet the potential that Equity had. But kind of like Travis, she seemed really impressive, and I was kind of like. I get what they're trying to do. I get why they're conserving cash. What they want me to do, which was to help them get the airports, makes total sense. Um, I'll, I'll roll the dice again on this equity thing. And then both worked out, clear not to the same extent as Uber, but still really worked out quite nicely. And then somewhere in that kind of 2015-ish range, it started to hit me like there's a broader intersection here 
um, between tech and politics. And, and ultimately, that's the insight that led to the creation of, of Touch Venture Partners, me meeting Jordan, raising our, our first fund, and all of that. This podcast. This podcast, lots of other things. This very important podcast, yeah, this yeah, podcast this empire. World mission critical podcast that we're talking on. Um, but what it also did is, is it made me realize that, look, rather than a bunch of random one-offs like Uber or Clear, what if you had a business that was really focused specifically on taking equity in tech startups in lieu of cash and seeing if that could ultimately be more lucrative? And so we first started doing it with the portfolio companies we were investing in, where we were investing and then we were charging them equity and then solving their political problems, whether it was legalizing fantasy sports betting for FanDuel or digital prescriptions for Roe or getting insurance license for Lemonade or whatever it is. We eventually changed that practice and now we give away all of our services around media and regulation and procurement and everything else to our portfolio companies. While obviously it's not as lucrative as for us getting equity for our work, um, it does mean that we basically almost never lose a deal, right? We are the only venture fund out there that can do this. And my pitch now is, look, look, you have this problem either way. You can pay my consulting firm a million bucks a year and they can solve it for you. Or I can give you all the services for free and give you money um, and then if you take Do my people still sometimes uh, just pay you pay the strategies firm and don't want to give you equity or, or don't want to don't want to no, take that it's it's pretty rare um, I have never had a founder say to me hey we, we don't want you guys to invest but we would like your help and we'll right. pay so you for it it's natural I've had the other way around which is we've decided not to make an investment I would be interested in working for equity for those guys even if the fund was not investing and sometimes they're very receptive to it, and sometimes their feelings are hurt, and they say, screw you. <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do here is you have eight bullet points. I'm just going to read. This is all Bradley's ideas, but I'm going to read um, the, the sort of main point, and then Bradley's going to um, uh, sort of explain, and, and illuminate. And let me just lay out the economic sure. reason for why this is all worth thinking about in the okay. first place, right? So we'll get into this you know, in the eight points, but when you take equity for services, it means you're not taking cash. It means that you have some stake in this company. Typically, it's a, a monthly amount of cash converting to equity at that current valuation, awarded in our case as warrants. We'll get into deal structuring. And the thesis is, if you believe in these companies and you think they're really going to grow, ultimately, um, instead of a 1x on your cash, you're making call it a 2x on the equity. And because you're holding it for a longer period of time, you're paying capital gains taxes instead of regular income taxes. So, like, as an example, well, that's win-win-win. Yeah, with a lot of risks. Let's right. say that you are generating six million dollars a year in equity uh, for five-year periods. So it's thirty million dollars baseline, and let's say it costs you two million dollars a year to run the business. You have ten million dollars in expenses. If you're taking cash, basically, you're paying taxes on so. 20, right? So 30 total net income, 10 gets deducted for expenses. Taxes there are about 10, so you're netting about $20 million, right? If you're doing this for equity instead and you get a 2x, which is about the average, not counting Uber, kind of across our equity for services portfolio, that's $60 million. Um, and then you are paying taxes on $50 million of that because you had expenses. And again, at a capital gains tax rate, it puts you like $32.5 million or something like that. So basically, the exact same thing, if you're willing to take the risk and you're willing to wait for the money, um, can yield a much, much bigger return. Okay, so let's go. There's eight bullet points. I'm going to read the first one. 
is you have to have a cash flow generating business. Yeah, I mean, the, the way that this works is that you are able to subsidize the equity for services business with something else. I, I guess if you're just independently really rich or if you inherit a lot of money or something, you could do it that way. But basically, you know, everyone who works for Pericles, which is the name of our equity for services business, has the same skill sets as the people who are for Touch Strategies or on platform at Touch Ventures, and they make a lot of money, right? And every two weeks, money goes from my account to their accounts. <laughs> um, every two weeks, money goes from my account to, you know, the, all the different benefit companies, and that, that goes back to them. And so you've got this cost regardless, and if you're taking equity for services, you're probably committing to wait, you know, three to six years to see anything in return. You want to wait at least three years because you want the capital gains tax treatment. But oftentimes, if you're getting in at seed or Series A, there's just not going to be a liquidity event for another five, six years most of the time. So what that means is if you're saying, okay, I think I can make double what I would have made otherwise if I do this equity for services model, but if it's going to cost you, say, $2 million a year and you're not going to see anything for five years— you got to have 10 million bucks to put against this. Uh, number two, you have to have a portfolio. Yeah. So all the time I feel like someone in political consulting will shoot me an email or a text or and say, hey, I'm doing what you did and I'm working for this startup and I'm taking equity. And, you know, what I always try to politely say is like, no, like, yes, my first one happened to be Uber. Yes, that became worth a lot of money. That was the ultimate needle in a haystack. Ultimately, if you are taking equity in tech startups and you're trying to generate a return for yourself, you need a portfolio of companies because some are going to succeed, some are going to fail. Look, in early stage investing, we assume that around 33% of our companies will just go to zero as is, right? So, you know, you've got to have, I would say, 8 to 12 companies in there so you're balancing out the risk. Uh, different sectors in there, sort of one sector is particularly hot, you can ride the wave on that, but if it plunges, you're not completely stuck with it. Um, so yeah, you, you've got to treat this like a portfolio, but again, if that means that you're working on sort of eight to 12 companies at any given moment, that means you have to dedicate some real resources against it. So again, it gets back to maybe just reinforcing the cash flow point, which is if you don't have the money to finance this operation without having to think twice about it, um, it's very hard to do. Um, but you might advise someone to take a flyer, right? Because you obviously didn't have a portfolio when you started with Uber. Um, so if, if, if. Oh, just on a one off? Yeah. You know, no. I mean, again, it was Uber, but it was, you know, <laughs> literally the unicorn of unicorns. Um, <laughs> no. I mean, I think if you said, fuck it, I just want to try this thing out and I don't really care what happens, but I want the experience of doing it. And the truth is, two people on my team have excess capacity anyway. So there's no real cost to me, and you want to do one that way, sure. Right, okay. But if you're trying to build a serious equity for services business, you need a portfolio. Number three is you have to structure the deal properly. Yeah, so um, in these negotiations, you're going to encounter a lot of things that might sound reasonable, but are all, all often really bad ideas from a business standpoint. So the first thing is the founder is going to want to pay you in common, common equity and common shares. Um, you can't take that. It has to be preferred equity because... Does that still happen? That's the first offer is always that? Not always, but frequently, right? right? Um, and, you know, when someone says it, we're just so dismissive of it that either the conversation's over or most of the time it's like... Well, they back okay, off okay, it right well, away. Yeah, right. we need it. Um, and the reason you need preferred is if there's a recap, if there's a wind down, if there's some sort of restructuring, you need to be protected on the cap table and your liquidation preferences have to be ranked 
pretty high up there, if you are just getting common shares, you could just get squeezed. You can just get wiped out completely, right? right? So one is you have to do that. Two is they need to come in the form of warrants. Um, and the reason for that is you're receiving equity in the company, um, but you're not paying taxes on it until you exercise the warrants itself. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, we don't exercise the warrants until the liquidity event of the company itself. So if we owed, you know, we, let's say we received $2 million in baseline equity in a company, um, we wouldn't exercise those warrants until that company is being sold or IPO'd or whatever else. Um, so you've got to have warrants. In our case, they vest monthly. They're awarded quarterly by the board. Um, so so that's really important. Um, yeah, and I think you kind of have to stick to this because if, if, if you don't insist on preferred and you don't insist on warrants, um, I think that this is already such a risky thing to do, right? You're saying, I'm going to bet on a bunch of early stage tech startups. Um, and I'm not even, in my case, I am, but most people listening to this are not venture capitalists. So it's not even that they have the training to really pick winners, right? And so the only way to even think about doing this is to both have the resources to do it, the structure to do it, but the deal terms to do it. Because if you don't have that, the risk isn't worth it. Did you get those terms from, from Uber? Um, yeah, well, you know, I, it's funny. I, I did, but really just because Travis was actually very generous because uh, I didn't know to ask for any of that stuff, right. but he, he, to his credit, he, he knew it mattered. It. He understood it. Yeah. Right. Um, number four is stage really matters. Yeah. So we've spent a lot of time talking about this, thinking about this, studying this, um, because as companies get more and more valuable um, and they get bigger and bigger, then the upside, obviously, in the next round isn't necessarily going to be as great, right? When you go from zero to one or one to two, that's when there's really, really big nonlinear gains where, you know, a dollar of investment can yield $10 in return. You know, once you're sort of much later stage in the company, you may say, okay, it's already a highly valued company. Oftentimes, in fact, tech companies, when they go public, get knocked down by the public markets. So I don't think there's enough growth left to merit taking the risk of taking equity here. So in our analysis, um, anything past Series B doesn't really make sense. What we have found, there are exceptions, obviously, but by and large, past Series B, you're better off just taking cash, having the the present value of the money, paying regular income taxes on it. Um, If you're going to do equity for services, it's really got to be seed A and B. And then even within that, on B, there's still a significant risk that the upside is not really that great. And at seed, there's a significant risk that the company will go out of business. So A, especially in this market, has kind of become the the sweet spot for us. Okay. Uh, Number five is timing matters. Yeah. Um, Look, you're taking on a lot of risk when you take equity instead of cash, right? The startup may fail. um, You're waiting a long time for your money. You're paying your employees every two weeks no matter what. Um, And so what that means is part of the advantage here is the increase in the valuation, but the other part of the advantage is the preferential tax treatment, right? And so if you don't think that you can hold this equity for three years, one, there's much less reason to do it. Two, you know, private shares of a tech company are not that liquid. I mean, there are some secondary markets. Some big problems right now, yeah. I was reading about that. But it's it's hard. So, you know, you have to assume that you're holding on to these shares until there's a formal liquidity event. You know, could there be a tender offering or something or some interest from the secondary market? Potentially, but by and large, no, and especially not the case in this market right now. So the point is only do this if if you've got the time to invest in it. Okay. Uh, point number six, 
uh, bullet point number six, you have to understand and embrace your role as the LP. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of flips, right? So at Touch Ventures, um, Jordan and I and our partners were the general partners, and our investors are our LPs. And, uh, you know, when we make money, 80% of those profits go to them and 20% go to us. Um, and then it changes a bit based on certain incentive structures and whatever else. In an equity for services business, you're the LP, right? You, the business owner, because you're paying all of the costs. You're effectively funding all of the fund's operations. You're funding all of the bets that you're making. Um, and then you own the equity in return. We flip it around where we give 20% of the equity for services to the employees, effectively treating them like the GP, um, and I keep the other 80% uh, as, as the LP. So um, I, I think that you've got to see it now as I'm an owner, which means um, one, you have to manage like a portfolio, not just each individual deal. Two, once you're in, you're kind of in, right? So you might have an equity services agreement that lasts for a year or two years, and, and you're being paid and working with them. But if the value of your shares are only dependent upon the final outcome of the company and in four years they call you and need something for free, you're probably going to do it, right? Because <laughs> unless you feel like the company's a lost cause, uh, because ultimately you need to see your investment become liquid and, and, and have a gain on it. So you're, you're making kind of a, a long-term commitment um, to these companies. And, and the only final thing I would say is if, if you're going to set up an employee um, equity pool like we have, it it just should be an, a, a give. It's not like, oh, you know, this will become part of your formal comp where we will offset it with reductions in salary or benefits or anything else. You know, equity for services is, is so inconsistent, so lumpy. You know, you could have three exits in four months and feel like you made a ton of money and then nothing for two years um, that it's just play money for our employees. We just, we just layer in on top of their comp. Uh, seven, you have to maintain your fee structure. Yeah. So uh, at Tusk Strategies, the lowest fee we charge for a campaign is typically $60,000 a month. The highest, I think, currently is $150,000 a month. Typically speaking, we price our equity services campaigns as if they were a cash campaign and just say, okay, we would charge normally $60,000 a month or $80,000 a month for this type of work. So that you're going to have to give us the equivalent of that in equity. Um, they're going to say, no, 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 this is such a great deal. There's so much upside here. You feel want to take a lot less. And, you know, there may be something to that, but ultimately you already are, right? Because you're already taking the risk. You're already losing the time value um, of the money itself. And, you know, theoretically the people working on this could be doing cash paying business instead. Um, so it means that you got to basically stick to your fee structure. And there might be a time where you love a company and they're so early that if you did take 70 grand a month in equity, which is wipe out their cap table completely, obviously you're not looking to do that. So in those cases, you might want to make some adjustments. But you know, you're going to hear things like, oh, you should reduce the, the fee itself. Or uh, this is the one that always drives me crazy, the founder that says after like you know three good meetings and everything sort of makes sense, oh, I'm very happy to pay you guys what you want. Assuming you hit these specific milestones, it's like no, fuck you. Like what, what milestones? What it was like? You know, you pass these bills, or you, oh, you achieve okay. these sales of growth, or, or whatever it is. And it's like, look, two things. One, actually, at least when it comes to lobbying and politics and all of that, that arrangement's illegal in a lot of jurisdictions. Oh, it is. Um, yeah, you can't pay people. You can't on, pay for outcomes. Yeah, for outcomes. And then two, I'm already betting on you. 
I'm taking equity in return for the work. I'm paying my people in real dollars every two weeks, and, and I'm getting your funny money <laughs> until eventually there's some sort of liquidity event. So the only assets we really have on the consulting side are our time and our expertise, and you can't give those away. So I would say if anyone comes to you with a success-based fee, um, I would just reject it out of hand, and most likely that means you're not going to work with them because if they're coming at you with that, unless they genuinely didn't they don't think understand about your business. it, yeah, and they're not going to be great partners. These are people who are inherently really selfish and greedy um, because they're trying to figure out how to make sure you only benefit if they benefit significantly, and that's not the basis of a good relationship, in my experience. Okay, number eight, final one. It sometimes makes sense to also put in a personal check. Yeah, um, I mean, this isn't necessary, and, I, and I'm limited to what I can invest in other companies through our fund's uh, LPA, limited partner agreement. Um, but I can write a small check, usually between fifty dollars and $100,000, into a company that the fund is not investing in if I want to. Um, sometimes, in fact, I'll do it so that we have a position, and I have a position in the company, so if then the fund wants to come back and leave the next round, I've got kind of the connectivity there and, and, and some diligence to, to work from. Um, but look, if you throw a hundred grand in the seed or the A and then you take another million in equity, um, that hundred grand, you know, if, if, if there is a 10X, you know, becomes worth worth a million bucks plus that money, you know, you're not even returning 20% back to anyone else. Um, and it's money that you're paying capital gains taxes on. So I, I wouldn't recommend throwing a personal check every single time, but a, uh, sometimes it, it really does juice the returns. And B, sometimes what the founder will say is like, look, it's cool that you guys didn't invest as a fund. I'm happy to pay your fees to do your work, but I'd really love to have your name on my cap table or be able to tell investors that you are an investor or, or whatever else it is. So sometimes also, it's, I wouldn't call it pay to play, but it's part of making the overall deal work, you'll put in a check. So that's the end of the, the bullet points. Just in, in summation, of these people who come to you, how many have been able to actually pull this off? Is it, is it um, have it's you a seen? Question. No, I mean, look, I, I, it's not like I'm tracking them and right, following up to see how it's all going. Um, I haven't heard of any. So we have about 50 companies right now in our equity for services portfolio. Um, I haven't heard of anyone doing it at that scale. Um, I think there are some marketing that companies. That's amazing, 50, wow. Yeah, uh, there's maybe some design companies, some law firms look at this sometimes. So there, there are different things, but I'm, I'm sure it exists. I'm just not aware of it. I'm not aware of an equity services business in tech startups that has the scale and scope that we do. Um, but I think also, look, I lucked into this thing. It wasn't like I had a whole vision around equity for services and then executed all of it. I just... Uber happened, Clear happened, and it kind of hit me like, oh, this is pretty lucrative. So now this um, is kind of a vision that other people can borrow or adapt yeah, to their own needs. Yeah, and, you right? know, and part of why I wrote this is, is to explain how to do it should you pursue it. But again, getting back to that number one, cash flow is king, you have to have both the economic freedom to do this and the risk tolerance to do this, right? If you're not comfortable taking this kind of risk, if it makes, makes some people happy, it makes some people anxious. I know society acts like, we should prefer the people who makes happy because the risk takers are the cool ones that we should we should support. But the reality is that's nonsense. Like, you're you, and if for some people risk is fun and some people it's not fun, and you should be candid for yourself about whatever it is, one way or the other, and, you can and follow that right. But um, yeah, if you if you are risk friendly and you have enough cash to take risk on this thing, um, it can be very lucrative, um, but it is definitely a tricky model. 
Cool, Bradley. Thanks. This was great. All right. Thanks, you.